All right, what I want to do is maybe start with just a few, um, you know, kind of overarching things. And that is even, um, first of all, you know, when we, from the scientific side of things, you know, when we talk about these different uh, arguments for, uh, you know, for creation against evolution, um, you know, I, I thought it might be good to almost back up and say, you know, there's a lot of different ideas that I've thrown in there. And what I, what I thought might be good is to kind of throw out kind of different categories of arguments and also recommend resources, depending on how, if you want to go deeper, uh, I'm going to give you a lot of different ideas to say, here's different categories, and if you want to go deeper, here's places to go. Um, there, I'm going to really look at four different kind of arguments and give you examples of what they are and where I've even kind of, you know, kind of referred to each one uh, throughout the, the last couple of weeks. Uh, the, the one is, is a more philosophical. And, uh, you know, so there are a lot of arguments that when we talk about creation, evolution, the philosophical arguments, and that was really, if you go back prior to Darwin, when you would have arguments for creation, they would be primarily philosophical. And uh, so there would be things like uh, the cosmological argument, you know, that's, which is basically, you know, everything that begins ha to exist has a cause. Uh, the universe has began to exist, and therefore the universe has a cause. And, uh, you know, so that's just a basic logical philosophical argument. Or this morning, we kind of referenced the a moral argument, the idea that if God does not exist, then their obje objective moral values and duties do not exist. But we all know that objective moral values and duties do exist, so therefore God exists. That idea, I didn't state it that way, but this morning we kind of had that same idea about morality. You know, from, a, from an evolutionary perspective, you know, we could say, how in the world can you say that anything is wrong? And you can't. And the fact is, we know that there are certain things that everybody acknowledges are wrong. Now, again, a lot of things we've kind of changed on, but people will, everybody acknowledges at least stealing and rape and things like that. Everybody acknowledges that. But why? And again, there's no reason to say it's wrong. So if you say that certain things are wrong, you basically, the only way you could say that is, is acknowledging God. So that's a, it's more of a philosophical argument. Um, if you wanted to go deeper on that, I mean, the, the number one recommendation I'd, I'd, I'd give, if you, if you want to go really heavy, uh, there's uh, William, uh, uh, William Lane Craig. Is, is, if you really want to study philosophical argument, he's tremendous. Uh, reasonable Faith is, is, uh, com is his thing. Also, if you remember back about four or five years ago, we had Carl Kirby here, uh, Reasons for Hope. And, uh, and he likewise kind of deals a lot with some, some of those same kind of arguments. But they're arguments for creation, for God, um, you know, but not based so much on heavy science, but more kind of on logic and philosophy. And um, the second kind is that is, is really focusing on more refuting or disproving the arguments of evolution. Um, and a really great example of that is, is Lee Strobel. And some, some of you might be familiar with Case for a Creator. And, and really, that's a, a prime example of this whole kind of argument, where uh, Lee Strobel uh, is probably best known for Case for Christ, and he gives a lot of his testimony of how you know, he started out really kind of as a skeptic, and his wife was a, became a believer, and she, he went out to disprove Christianity. And, um, and in the process of trying to, to prove, as, you know, going through it as a reporter and trying to prove Christianity wrong, he kept coming back and seeing that the evidence was there proving it right. And he really, in many ways, was led to Christ by logic. And uh, so then he, what he did is after becoming a believer, he took some of those same ideas to the whole issue of creation and evolution. You know, he had been you know, raised and was a strong evolutionist. And, 
And uh, so what he did is he really took the arguments that he had been taught uh, you know, throughout, you know, for the reasons why evolution is true. And so then he went and started asking people, well, what about the fossil record? And what about, you know, uh, you know Darwin and the finches and the moths? And, and he really took a lot of these uh, icons of evolution and that evolution had argued. And he said, you know, what about the Big Bang Theory? And he, so he'd go to different scientists and he would ask them about that. And he would see how so many of them were, were proven false. And so again, if you want a great example of that, I would say that you know, Lee Strobel's book is a tremendous example. Um, and a you know, really good example of that would be, you know, again, the you know, lack of evidence in the fossil record. That's probably the best example that it's really easy to say, okay, here's something that evolutionists, they say the fossils prove it, but the fact is the fossils don't prove it. Uh, the fact is when you really look into it, there's, you know, there's an example of microevolution of, of, you know, of, of um, of adaptation within the species, but there's no evidence of, of change between species. And in reality, you know, when, when they have those, sometimes you'll see even uh, things in museums or, or, um, or books, those are all made up. Or, or literally, you'll have times that you'll have, uh, you know, they'll have a whole uh, uh, skeleton of, you know, this half ape, half man, and it all came from like a single tooth. And they'll, they'll build a whole skeleton based on a tooth, and they're just making, and basically it's, here's what we want it to conclude. Um, and so, you know, so that's an example. Now, that is a, is a really helpful method. Um, one of the arguments that if you read people who are more evolutionists, they will, they will say that's all we do, that's all Christians do. And they will say that the argument then for creation is what they say is a god of the gaps. And so they will say, oh, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to find the weaknesses of evolution, and you're saying, well, we have this magical being, God, that fills in the gaps and answers the questions. And, uh, and, and so there's no evidence for creation, but it just is, this is how you, you know, you're just attacking the weaknesses of evolution. And, and again, it, we can be guilty of that if we're not, not careful. Uh, so there, whereas there is value of looking at the negative, you know, kind of evaluating evolutionary theory, we shouldn't do that alone. And one of the things we really have to do is kind of the question that we were asking, you know, the last couple of weeks is what, you know, here we have two stories, and uh, what is more consistent with the evidence of science? And so we're not just saying, okay, what are the problems of evolution? What we're saying is there are certain things that we would expect to see if God truly did create. And is the evidence of science consistent with what we'd expect to find? You see, so it's not just here's a problem of evolution. It's actually, no, this is actually confirming what we would expect to find if there was a designer, if he did speak in things into existence at once. And for example, the fossil record is a great example of that. It's not a God of the gaps. Well, here you have a problem of fossil records, and therefore we're going to fill in the gaps. In reality, the opposite is true. If God spoke into existence different you know, animals, what we would expect is we would expect all these different forms of animals to appear at the same time, which is exactly what we have happen. And so it's not that there's a problem of lack of evidence of, of, of evolution, it's both the lack of evidence and we actually have exactly what we should expect to find if we believe that the biblical account is correct. Does that make sense? Okay, the third kind is, is, is principles of science. And that's a more positive. It's, it's both evaluating the negatives of evolution as well as, as looking at the positives of the creation story, but it's broadly and in principle. And it's a lot of really what 
uh, you know, I did over the last couple of weeks. You know, very, very broad. Um, you know, for example, we can look at you know, the argument of design. And so we, you know, we look very broadly at the argument of design. And we talked about, you know, even can talk about the example of you know, the man on the mountain and the, and versus uh, Mount Rushmore and the difference of design there. Uh, you know, we could talk very broadly about the design. We kind of got a little bit heavier when we talked about the complexity of the cell, uh, you know, but pretty broadly, it was this idea. Uh, or we can talk about, you know, we talked about an irreducible complexity. Now, that's a really huge concept that will be argued, but this idea that in evolution, it's every step had to be progressive. And what you find is in creation, there's a lot of things that, you, you know, that you, there's no path to go from here to here. You know, there's something that, that appears fully formed and it requires multiple steps. And the example that the person uses is the, you know, uh, or somebody had argued it's almost like a mousetrap. You know, you have a mousetrap and it has, you know, uh, four different pieces. It's got the board, it's got the spring, it's got the, you know, the trap, and it's got the, uh, you know, the, the bait, where you put the bait. And the fact is that if you take any one of those pieces out, it doesn't work at all. And so you need all four pieces at once for it to work. You can't have three pieces and, and then progressively make a better mousetrap. And what the argument is, is when you look at, if evolution, you'd have to be able to say, you can go from here to here to here. Well, in reality, that's not at all the case. And so you could take a very broad scope and you could say, let's take, for example, the argument is that you had you know, a very simple eye that kind of just could tell light. Well, then you had the, you know, development of a little more complex eye, eye and then, you know, can see color. Well, the fact is, is it's not just, it's not a little, a little bit better. It doesn't add one or two pieces. The whole design is different. And so when you look at these things, you, you, know, you, you know, you can't just say, okay, well, well, here's how it got here. There's all these pieces had to come together at one time or nothing worked. It's irreducible complexity. Now, the thing is that I can explain that idea in a very broad scope, and that's what I'm, I'm trying to do, and you understand it. And, and so that's an example of probably a lot of times of what we do, um, you, know, um, you know, this goes back to Darwin's standard. If you could show anything that didn't progress through simple means, then my, my theory breaks down. Well, there's a lot of things that break down, because there's all kinds of things that you could go back and you could say that, you know, that it doesn't match. Um, you know, examples of people who do this, probably a great one is Answers in Genesis, uh, you know, whole creation museum. That's is really a, the, a lot of the kind of, of material that they study, a lot of, of their arguments. And, and that's a little different than the last one, which I'm going to, um, is, is kind of, you know, you can get some people that will get a really in-depth study of, scientific, of, of a scientific application that proves a general point. And so what that is, is it's not only here's this point, but you get, these are, the, these are the super scientists. These are the guys that you read their books and you don't understand half of what they're saying. Um, you know, on the one hand, you look at Creation Museum, and most of us look there and, oh, that's really neat, we understand it. That's not like, you know, and even uh, Ken Ham was not a trained scientist. These are people that are, you know, many of which were trained as evolutionists. Many of them, over time, as they studied their field, they saw that the field didn't support evolutionary biology, and so they have, you know, many have be became Christians, and they now, and they now um, are involved in defending creation science. But they're doing so at the deepest levels. And so let me give you an example of that. Uh, there's a, we talk about this idea of irreducible, irreducible complexity. Now, you have a guy, uh, Michael Behe, who, um, who, who wrote a book developing this whole idea of irreducible uh, complexity, but he went then into the study of, of flagellum, which is like a single cell uh, organism, 
And this one part of the flagellum inside that cell, there's like a, you know, this basically one of those little machines in the cell. It has this little motor that, that moves things around. And so he has done this incredibly deep study about how this little motor has, is very unique in creation. There's nothing else like it. And it has, you know, it has you know, all these different parts. And if you take out any of those parts, then it doesn't work. And so he does this whole book about this, this part of a cell, this flagellum cell, and, and the motor that's, you know, it literally, if you see it, it's like this almost, um, um, and it's like, a, it's like a motor. It's got this little tail that spins around, and it goes really fast, and it, it, it kind of moves the thing around. And, and he says, there's nothing else like it, but there's no way to explain how this, uh, how this evolved. Because, there, because there's, in, in number one, there's nothing else like it. It's it. And, and you can't have, if you don't have all the parts, the whole thing doesn't work. And so here, if you ever want to do a really, really in-depth study of Jellum motors, uh, read his book. Now, now, most of us don't want to go that deep on something like that. Um, or there was a, another article that I read that, was, again, it's really interesting, but it's about um, flesh-eating plants. And, and again, it's really interesting to look at, but when you think about even flesh-eating plants, how different they are from any other plant. And so when you think of all the other plants that developed, you know, they are taking energy from light sources, and they're converting that energy, and then they're drawing the water from the, you know, and, and that's how they grow. Now, flesh-eating plants are, you know, are these plants that don't take their energy from the light source, but they have these, um, these baits that they draw bugs in, and these bugs come in, and then they close, and then they digest them. And, you know, um, and, and so it's a totally, and, and what the argument is when you think of it, they're incredible, they're not at all like any other plants, but when you think about all the levels of things that had to exist for this to work, you know, you don't, you don't develop just the little debate, and then you don't, I mean, you have to have a, a debate, you have to have the ability to tramp it, you have to have the digestive system, you have to have, tech, that's where you take your energy, all these things, it's incredibly complex. And again, I can give you this 30-page article about flesh-eating plants and how it really makes the argument for irreducible complexity. It's really interesting, but it's way above most of our heads. You know? And what you have there is you have these scientists, some of which are doing you know, really, really high level of science. Now, the good news on that is it's good to know that all of this is, is, is science that's being argued at the, at the highest level. Uh, the, bad news, you know, the, the reason I think most of us don't go there is that we get so lost in the weeds of this, you know, that you almost miss the big picture. And, uh, you know, but it's good to know when you talk about irreducible complexity, that's not just a philosophical argument, that's a science, you know, it's, a, it's made in principle, but it's being argued issue after issue and incredibly well. And, um, and, and so if you wanted to go into there, I think actually the first week, if you remember, we kind of had this video, Science Uprising, and uh, a lot of their material is going to be much heavier. And, and kind of the people behind that are Discovery Institute, discovery.org. And that if you really want to go heavy science, that's, that's where you go. You know, these are the guys that are, you know, like the top level biologists, you know, chemists, uh, you know, DNA. I mean, if you want to, you know, they've got a lot of videos, which is good. But if you really, really want to go very heavy in understanding these concepts, they are tremendous information. Uh, but it's good to be able to see that as we, as we struggle with these issues, you've got, you've got it at all these different levels. Does that make sense? Um, now, let me stop and, and give you a chance to start to interact. And you know, any of that, any stuff that we've talked about, 
you know, over the course of the last three weeks, um, or just questions or, you know, ideas about creation just to, before going any further. And I'm going to come back to what we, some of what we talked about this morning. I'm going to come back to that and just talk about the implications of creation, because that's huge. Um, but let me stop and give you a chance to interact. Any questions or comments, sir? It's Michael Behe. It's B-A-H-E. B-A-H-E. And he's, if you go to discovery.org, you know, you're going to see him on there, um, his books. And again, they're, they're tremendous. And, and actually, for especially, you know, when I was doing the study about five years ago, I listened to a ton of their podcasts. So, you know, some, you know, that's, it was really interesting in reading their articles. And, and, um, and again, you, you, half the stuff you, you know, you'll get into stuff that you have no idea what they're talking about because they're at, uh, you know, they're at the top level of, you know, of, of, of really specific science of, you know, studying uh, at the microscopic level, which is, but they're great scientists. And it's great to know that, you know, that this level, this stuff holds up at every level. Yeah. So that, that's a great area to expand further. So I know we're past our grade here, but you know, the first level chapter of Genesis was probably the most disputed in the Bible. So that, that's something to take into account. Yeah, that's one of the series. One of these days, I'm going to get to first Genesis 1 through 11 because it is awesome. There's so much there, uh, but there's a lot of work to get it done. But I, but I agree with you. But you see, if you're talking about this issue particularly, what you see is the fossil record gives no evidence of, of, of this macro evolution. And, um, and it's again, it's kind of sad to see how people make it up. That's what really, when, when you really get into this, what's troubling is how you have scientists literally make stuff up or justify making things up, um, you know, because, because we know it tells the truth even though we have to lie to tell the truth. And it really is unfortunate. Um, so you mentioned another thing, you think of making stuff up. Uh, there's a book out there called The Icon Revolution. This guy is running against the second law right now. Mm -hmm. And he goes through all the history first. Yes. But he does go through a lot of the things that were, were brought up, like, for instance, the, uh, oh, what's the main myth? Embryo cells? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, but you know, these, and, and they never retract the stuff. Yeah. Like textbooks today. 
they have things that are proven wrong and they leave them in the textbook, you know, and they're teaching college students and high school students, even though they know it's wrong, because it, in their mind, it tells the truth. Which again, it's, it's really sad, this idea that, you know, it, we have to lie to tell the truth. We know it's true even though there's no evidence, so we'll make up evidence. And, and it's just really, and it, it goes to that whole issue of materialism. That's what, you, you know, that, that is so deeply rooted in this problem that you have these people that are, uh, that are materialists and they confuse materialism with science. So therefore they say, you know, only uh, science has to have natural explanations. Anything that has a supernatural explanation, well, that's not science. So therefore materialism or sciencism, um, that's science. And, and, you know, and so therefore we, we take out the possibility of God, we take out and, and, and it's amazing what happens is once you take out the possibility of God, the only, the only possibility is some kind of evolution. So all the evidence points towards the conclusion where it came to. Um, and it, it's really, it's, it's troubling when you see how, how deceptive, uh, I don't know if everybody intends to be deceptive, but there's clearly some that, that do, and they think they're telling the true story, but they have to lie to tell it. It's, it's really troubling to see how common that is. So, yeah, Kevin. If somebody said they didn't create the earth in six literal days, well, I hear I'm gonna I'm gonna say some things that are I know a little controversial. Um, in my opinion, in, in when I interact with people about this issue, the one issue that that we get really tripped up on is is young earth. You know, now you have people that will um, you know, that will say, well, you know, we know that the earth is this, this old and it's this, you know, you know, carbon dating and the distance. And, and the thing is, is that it's really easy for me to argue, you know, when God created, he created with the appearance of age. That's, that's really, in my mind, that's kind of, kind of really easy. Um, you know, when he created Adam, wasn't a newborn baby. All right. So there was, their trees were drunk, you know, so there was a clear appearance of age. That's a really simple idea. Um, now, between us, that's my answer, and I think it's a really simple answer. But I will tell you in interacting with people and witnessing to people, that's the issue that they want to stay on. Because from their perspective, the evidence shows that the earth is old, and I'm arguing that it's only 6,000 years. And the fact is, is that that's not the real issue in my mind. I don't, I don't want to get stuck there. And what I find is that a lot of times we get stuck there and then we're arguing about this really secondary issue. Um, so what I'll do, and, I, and again, now this isn't, it isn't necessarily what I believe, but I, I do know a lot of believers who believe that, you know, you know things like the day-age theory and different, different interpretations of Genesis that leave open the possibility that, the, that, you know, that God created, as it says in Genesis, but not in six literal days, but in... In, in a longer period of time. Now, I'm not saying that I'm, I believe that, but I at times will, when somebody starts to argue that, I'll say, you know, some believe, people believe this. And so it's possible to believe in creation and believe that the, the earth is really old. Now, and I can tell you, I've, I've witnessed to people before and they've got, you know, like they're ready to argue and they start talking age of the earth and I do that and they're like, I mean, I, I remember one guy who just was like flat out, you know, he just was as, as strong. And, and, and I said, I, I gave him that, and he's like, I don't have anything else. You know, it's kind of like, you know, and, and after that, it was like, a, it was my agenda talking about the evidence for creation. 
But that was like his whole, he, you know, he thought he had both guns loaded and he was ready to come for bear. And once I, once I did that, it was like he didn't have anything back on me. Now, now here's, here's why I say that. In my mind, the most important thing is, let's start with, in the beginning, God created. I don't think the, I don't think the most important thing is, in six literal days, 6,000 years ago. Now, it's not that I'm saying that I think that's unimportant, but I don't think that's, that's the most important. And, I, and, and I'd hate to kind of lose the argument on, in the beginning, God created, where I'm arguing about that, where that becomes, or, you know, where we're arguing about how long ago, and we're not, we're missing the whole idea of, you know, that God created. Now, I know that that's controversial. I know that not everybody will agree with me on that. And, and again, I'm not even saying that I believe that. I'm just saying that from a standpoint of interacting with people, and I've done interacted with a lot of people over the course of the years on this issue, and if I can remove, you know, not make it about the age of the earth, but make it about God's creation, you know, what I find is, is you know, they're going to argue about the age. That's where they want to stick. If I can take that off the table and then talk about, let's say, all the evidence of whether, the, you know, whether it's um, by chance, whether it's evolution, you know, whether it's, or whether it's by design, whether it's God created or whether it's just, you know, but nature, if I take that one off, suddenly the whole conversation changes. Um, and they go from, they, there's nothing else. Most people that I interact with, that's the, only, that's the only offensive weapon they think they have. And so if I can take that weapon off the, off the table, um, it allows, it, you know, again, I've literally had people that have said, I, don't, I have nothing else, you know, kind of like, I, I don't know where to, I, I, don't, I have no other arguments. And these are people that are, I mean, one guy's a scientist. This was a guy that I was really surprised. He was like, that was easy. Um, and uh, that, that's my own personal opinion. Does that make sense? And again, I'm not saying that it's unimportant, but I, in, in my opinion, I would see that as secondary importance to the question of, the bigger question, even go back to the, the confession. I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven, you know, almighty creator of heaven and earth. That's what I want to talk about is whether is, is he the creator of heaven and earth? Are we the result of creation? Um, I want to really focus the discussion there, not, not the age of the earth. Um, because then they're going to be, as much as I could say, logically, God created with the appearance of design. Yeah, but it's, you know, 13 billion years old. And, you know, and I, you know, I just don't, it's, in my mind, that's a distraction that keeps us from getting to the real issue. So, that makes sense. Is it, does that make sense? It's a practical thing. And again, I know some people that would disagree with it, but I, I can tell you personally, it makes a world of a difference. It really does. Before Darwin, it was um, the, the Darwinism is based on materialism, or, or, or sometimes it's called scientism. And so, you know, what it is is it's the idea that the only thing that exists is material and matter. And so that, you know, so, it's, so that it's, it starts with the assumption the supernatural is impossible. And in fact, I'll give you even an example. If you, um, what was his name? Um, God is dead. Which, uh, I've got a brain freeze. Um, the, the main atheist guy that, um, da Dawkins, Dawkins. You know, in, in Richard Dawkins in his book, he starts arguing against God. And then part of his argument against God is, well, if God exists, then God would have to evolve. And 
to create the wor world, then the idea of God evolving is more complicated than, than the world evolving. So therefore, you know, but the whole idea is his argument against God is that God couldn't have evolved. Well, no, the, the argument for God isn't that God evolved, it's that God exists outside of creation. See, but he starts with the assumption that that's impossible, that you can't have something that exists outside of material uh, explanations. So he won't even consider it. He won't, it's not even an option. And uh, so we start with the assumption, now that's not science, because there's nothing in science that can prove that there's nothing outside of nature that exists. You see, it's a philosophical assumption that says we're going to start with this conclusion before we consider the facts, and then we're going to hold to it regardless of what the facts say. And, um, and so really when you look at all you know, Darwinism and, and, um, and you know, everything in evolution, it's all based on this materialistic worldview. Be yeah, before Darwin, basically everybody believed in creation. And, you know, so you had, um, you know, you had some people that, you know, you had different ideas of what God was and, you know, so, but basically everybody believed in creation or you had, to, you know, um, you know, exactly what, how God created and how involved he was after, you know, afterwards. But um, if you, in fact, again, Dawkins is a good example of this. He talks about how what Darwin, Darwinism was, is it was really a, it gave a, uh, a logical um, ground for people who wanted to be atheists to be atheists. You know, so be beforehand you had people that wanted to be atheists who wanted to reject God, but they couldn't because there was no explanation for creation. And so then Darwinism came and you had suddenly, it's like, well, now I can go here. Now I can, now I've got a, a logical explanation for me to reject God. And before that, there really wasn't. I mean, you could deny God, but the fact is, you, then you could, there was no explanation for the world. There was no... The, the argument with... Well, what they believe, they actually believed in gods. So when Paul was... The question is, what did Paul argue at Mars Hill? See, the thing is that they believed in various gods, and most people up in that time believed in at least some kind of deity or deities. And uh, so he was arguing to them and saying, okay, well, you even have this, you know, this this, this uh, idol to the statue to this unknown God. And I'm telling you, this is the unknown God. This is the one that is creator. This is, you know, deep down, you know that all your gods don't explain everything. So that's why you have this unknown God, because you know that there's, there's something out there that isn't explained. And I'm telling you, this is the unknown God. This is the one who explains everything, because he's the only God. And so, but even in that, he was speaking to a, a community that had religious beliefs. And again, up until... Up until Darwinism, pretty much everybody, it was really hard to be an atheist logically because there was no explanation for where the world came from. That's a, that's a good point. Yes? Did he talk about where the world came from? He's, one of the things that happened is that prior, to, and, and we talked about this a little the first week in the series. When Darwinism, Darwin started his idea, he, he was a materialist, but it was up, up until the 1920s, everyone believed in what was, all materialists, all Darwinists believed in what was called a static universe. Um, and basically they believed that material things were eternal. So they believe that the, the you know that basically the world, the universe, the solar system it always existed for all eternity. Um, 
and you know, so materials, material things were, you know, were eternal, and uh, so that so you had the world that had been there forever, and then life somehow developed over time. Now, what happened is in the 1920s, actually, again, you know, that you had a Christian, uh, a Christian priest who was a, also a scientist, studied the Bible, and he saw specifically when it talked about not only Genesis, where it talked about God's creation, but in the Psalms, where it talks about God flings out the stars. And so he came up with this idea that if we, when we study the stars, what we're going to find is that the stars are moving apart. Because it, he came up with this idea that when God did creation, he, create, he created from a single spot, and that he flung out the universe from this moment of creation. And so that was something was mocked. This, this, this theory that was done by this, by this Christian uh, was mocked and, and labeled the Big Bang. It was something that was mocked as this you know, Christian idea that you know, everybody knows is wrong. But, but he said, this is what we're going to, and again, here's what you see, is it's positive evidence of creation. He said, this is what we're going to expect to find. If the creation story is true, we're going to expect to find this because this is what, you know, this is what we, is consistent with what the Bible reads. Well, then in the 19, you know, 1920s, they, you know, they got with different telescopes and they were able to tell that the stars were actually moving out like this guy came, suggested. But in that time, they still believed that, that matter was eternal. So I don't know if some of you probably remember this, uh, I don't know how many of you were taught any evolution in, in school. Okay, so some of you were, you may remember back up until I think the 1970s, it was taught that basically matter was eternal, but, but we saw that the stars were moving out, so they had to have a central place. So, so somehow it, what happened is you have scientists try, that laughed at the Big Bang Theory, now we're owning it. They were saying, oh, this is ours, and they, were, they, tried, they took it away from Christianity, and, and, and basically... Um, you know, almost turned it against Christians. But then the theory became that, that you had matter was eternal, but it was an elastic universe. And so some of you might remember hearing this being taught, this idea that you had this big bang and everything scattered out, but there was like this center spot where it all came from, and it was the center of the universe, and it had an incredible gravity well. And so everything expanded out, and then over billions of years, and then it got drawn back in, and then it you know, came back the singularity and then it exploded again. And so it was kind of like this thing that was going on throughout eternity because matter was eternal. Uh, then what happened is in the 1970s, they discovered that it's not only that the stars are moving out, but they're accelerating. So I don't know if you've, if you've, if you've read any of the science, but, it was, but this became this big crisis because we always had to believe, materialists had to believe that matter was eternal. Uh, but suddenly... If it's accelerating, that means that this whole idea of this elastic universe couldn't have existed. It wasn't like it was going out and coming back. No, something happened one time, and, and it doesn't make sense that it would be accelerating somehow that it's actually being pushed out, not being drawn back in. There's no central gravity well. Well, that means that the Big, big Bang had to be a one-time event, and therefore matter isn't eternal. And so what happened is that Darwin, when you think about his idea of where the world came from, now he, his theory was just about where life came from. But their initial idea of where the world came from, well, we have no idea. The world always existed. It's eternal. The universe has always existed. It's eternal. But that started to break down in the 1920s. They, so they revised their thing, and then they said, okay, well, now we'll do it this. And then that got proved wrong. And, but they never come back, and they said, well, you know, maybe our theories are wrong. Maybe we're just wrong. You know, they came in and said, but we know we're right, so we have to make up a new theory. 
So now the theory is the Big Bang, there was nothing, and there was no matter, no nothing, and then there was an explosion where this nothing created everything. And again, that's the crazy thing, is that they think that we have a leap of faith and we're crazy to say that there's an all-powerful God that existed that created everything, and they think it's a whole lot better explanation to say that there was nothing and nothing created everything. I mean, it's just... Uh, they think we have leaves of faith. So, so when you look at, at, at where the world came from, where Darwin's, Darwin would have said the world was always there. Um, and so again, that was pretty much the static universe theory was pretty much the norm from Darwin up until the 1920s. Does that answer? I'm, I'm hoping I'm asking the right, answering the right question. I don't know, because some of this, it's again, it's, for some of it might be like, I kind of remember hearing it. I don't know what it was, you know, we were all taught different things at different ages, and um, it's, and, you know, I, I always remember, see, I went to school in the 70s, you know, even the whole thing with global warming. When I went to school, everybody was sure that there was going to be a, a global ice age. And, uh, you know, so I'm always saying, if all the scientists thought there was a global ice age back then, and now that's global warming, I'm not sure that they really know what they're talking about, but uh, it's amazing how it changes. So... Okay. I think you can keep doing, the, the question is, can we live with a simple faith? I think we can, but here's the key. I don't think we have to understand all this. I don't think you have to understand all the science, but where we become vulnerable is that if we, if we, if we don't understand enough or if we never talk about it, and then we're, we're, we're confronted with someone who throws these arguments at us that are based on a lie, and we're not prepared to answer them, and suddenly we're starting to say, I don't need to understand my, my faith, but if my faith seems to be all based in, and you know, if, if science is against my faith, suddenly I, I question my faith. Or we see this especially like with our young adults. You know, so if we don't deal with these things, and then they go to college and they take a science class, and the science class attacks them, it, is, it, is it that they have to understand all the science to have faith? No. But the, but the risk is that if they don't understand any of these things, or if they don't know of people that understand them, and suddenly their faith is attacked, then you start to believe that your faith is based on, on an untruth. Um, and here's what you have to realize is that, again, our faith is based on truth. I'll give you, I, I think I've used this example in the past, but I'll, I'll, when I, um, years ago, I was, I had an, a means to have an interaction with the, like a, one of the a top guys of the Mormon church in Southeast United States. And I won't give the whole story. Um, but we got talking. And, and I, you know, when I talk, I'll, you know, I'll talk, you know, I'm, I don't argue. I'll talk and open and discuss and listen. And so he took that as being, okay, this is a guy that's open. And so he started to work on me. And, and I talked with him about just 
the truthfulness of their faith. And, and I said, you know, I believe in the Bible. I believe the Bible. I have every reason to believe it, but you're telling me to believe in the Book of Mormon. But the thing is, is that the evidence is against the Book of Mormon. I said, I can go in the Bible, and it talks about Israel. It talks about all these kings. I said, I've, I've, can, I've, I've actually got coins that have, have some of the people mentioned in the Bible on them. And I have them because they're not that expensive because they're all over the place. You know, you can, you can find uh, in archaeology evidence not only of these cities, but of all these people, all these, everything is given evidence so that what happens is, can I go back and actually know for sure that Jesus rose again from the grave? No, but you know, what I can do is that I can follow the rules of literature, of science, and, and know it's consistent with the truth. Now contrast that with the Book of Mormon. Now, I don't know if you all know anything about the Book of Mormon, but it was supposedly these angels came and gave these golden plates to Joseph Smith with these magic glasses for, so he'd interpret it from, he, from Egyptian, reformed Egyptian into English. And then it tells the story of the 13th tribe of Israel that came from the Middle East over to America. And it's this whole thousand year story culminating in Jesus coming over. He didn't really ascend into heaven. He just topped the pond and came over here for a while. And, uh, and so that's the Book of Mormon. Now it has these great stories of these you know, great cities and great war and very, you know, very much like the Old Testament, very similar to the Old Testament. And what I told them is that, you know, if I go, I can't find any evidence. There's no evidence that any of these cities existed. You compare that with what I have in the Bible, there's all these evidence. There's no evidence at all. There's nothing. Nobody's found any city. Nobody's, there's nothing. And, and he said, oh yeah, there is, there's, oh, I'd love to see it. So we set up a meeting. He was going to show me all the evidence. And he didn't show up, but he signed me up for the Mormon book club. And you know, I couldn't find it here. Hopefully you can. And uh, now the thing is, is what I told them is, if there's no evidence, you're telling, me, you're telling me that I should close my eyes in spite of the lack of evidence and believe something that everything logically tells me is false. So I'm not going to even pray whether this is true, because the fact of the matter is, everything tells me it's false. And, and now... You know, there's a great illustration that, you know, that I love from Indiana Jones and the, um, the Last Crusade. And it's, and it's, you know, at one point in time, he's coming to this, this leap of faith, and you have this big chasm that's there, and he's, you know, it's kind of like, oh, I've got to, you know, like take this leap, even though that everything tells me I'm going to fall to the ground. And he steps out, and he takes this leap, and there's this, like, invisible board, and he walks across. And that's what people think the leap of faith is. And that's not. What happens is when he gets to the other side of the thing, he picks up a bunch of dirt and he throws it out there. And you see the dirt kind of rest on this invisible board. You don't see the board, but you see where the dirt rests. Now, that's what faith is. Faith is picking up the dirt and saying, okay, I'm going to throw it out there and I'm going to see. I can't see God. I can't see the resurrection. I can't see creation. But I see the outline of truth. And so if I pick up dirt and it all falls to the ground, it's foolish for me to put faith, my faith in something, you know, that if I throw it out there, I'm not going to go out and step out there. It's foolish. It, and God doesn't call me to this leap in a faith that's inconsistent. He calls me to a faith that's consistent. Now, most of us aren't going to ever get there. But I think it's important that you know that, you know, that, boy, if you ever have questions that you know, and that you know that there are scientists that study this, and, and you don't need to understand all of it, but you need to know that it's consistent with the truth. And, you know, and, and it's something that we need to really uh, equip, especially our young people with, you know, so that when, when they face those questions, when they're gonna go to those college classes, that, that they know that there's answers. 
I, it was just awesome to see that some of, we had some of our young people that in the last couple of years have gone to college you know, classes and they've written papers on creation. They're like, I, I might get a bad grade, but I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna stand up for my, and that's awesome. That is awesome to see. Um, but hopefully as a church, we've helped equip them to do that, that they, that they actually weren't, their faith wasn't destroyed in college, it was actually strengthened. Um, because what you want to do is you want to have a faith that we're not going to totally understand it, but we've got to know that it's consistent with logic, consistent with reason. And I think it's biblical. That's where when you see Job and Psalms and all the passages we looked at that, that get the Bible saying, look to the heavens, the heavens declare my glories. You know, these things declare. And I think the Bible calls us to, to look for the evidence of, of, of nature because it, it affirms and declares the truth that God has also taught in his word. This, you know, so it's, it's not that we all have to understand it, but I think we should have some handle, uh, some confidence. And again, if, you ever, if you're ever in a discussion in your overhead, you know, hopefully, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm not a pure scientist, but I'm a resource maybe the next step up the chain for some people. Um, or with young adults to say, hey, go talk to Pastor Mike. Go, you know, don't, don't just believe it. Go talk to somebody. Um, and hopefully we can help help them have a, a faith that is able to stand even in the midst of, of um, attack. Jim. Really, what you're dealing with on that is, is when you talk about the, they talk about the fine tuning of the universe. I mean, I've got, again, I've got an article here. It's like it goes way deeper than, you know, just breaking down the percentages and things like that. You know, it's the, the physical laws of the universe, it, and these are things that, again, I, it's hard for us to understand. But they say there's all these physical laws of the universe for the universe to work. It's like if they were a dial that was one to a thousand, it had to be exactly on the one percent. And it's the law of gravity, you know, nuclear, uh, you know, weak nuclear law, or, you know, I can go back and look at them, but they've got all these different things. And, and basically they have a couple attempts to try to do it. Um, one is called the anthropic principle. Uh, and, and basically the anthropic principle is this shouldn't have worked it's impossible, but the fact that it did shows that we're really, really, really lucky. Um, and, and, and basically, it's just, uh, I, mean, that's, I mean, that's what it's called, the anthropic principle. And that's essentially the argument, is that, yeah, it's like we agree it's near impossible, but, but the fact that it exists shows that it's really lucky. The latest, the latest kind of the newer thing is the multiverse theory. Um, and that's basically, it, there's some theory behind quantum physics that say that you could have multiple universes and things like that. It's, it's just theory, theoretical ideas. But you have some people that have kind of embraced that because it allows the explanation for the universe. And the multiverse theory is basically everything that could exist does exist. And so therefore, if there were, you know, you know, you know trillions of universes that could exist, all the trillions of universes that could exist, does exist, including the one that actually worked. So, so all the possibilities happened, and one of them actually worked, and so the good news is we get to live in the one that actually worked, and all the other ones didn't work, and so they imploded, and they're, they're, they're lifeless, um, because, they, because, the, because the laws you know, w didn't line up. It's just it's, it's too impossible. 
And, and again, when you look at that, the, the, the probability, when you talk about the fine-tuning of the universe, you know, the, you know they say it's, you know, it, it literally is, you know, the type of thing that if you had a thousand dials and, you know, it's more than a thousand. I mean, that's like simplifying it. It's, you know, they say it's probably more, it's like if you had a million dials and they had a thousand uh, things at each one and each one had to be the exact point, point number. It is, the universe is so fine-tuned. And if any of these numbers were just a bit off, it wouldn't work. And then they don't have any explanation other than, you know, then either we're really lucky or, um, you know, the, the multiverse is kind of this really nice thing because it just allows us to be able to say everything that happened, including the one thing that actually worked. Uh, is there no, any, any evidence for that? Absolutely none, but we're, we're glad that we can claim it because so, it gives us an easy out. So... Well, let's, let me go to the next part, and then we can come back, and I want to uh, open up for any other discussions on this. But I wanted to take a few other, where we went today, and if you were here this morning, because, because this, is, this is why it's so important. The, the whole, when we think of creation evolution, uh, we think of it as being a scientific thing, and it's not. It's a worldview, and, and it is amazing how much our, our cultural thinking has been influenced by, by evolutionary theory, including, unfortunately, a lot of times people within the church, that we will reject evolution as a, as a biological or scientific theory, but yet we then buy into evolutionary thoughts that basically that the world is evolving, or morality is evolving, uh, family structures are evolving, uh, you know, so, that, so that we have things that are, that are changing and getting better. And, um, and it is... It is really um, scary to do that. And, and that's you know, one of the things that I, if you don't establish the fact of creation, then you can't, can't really argue for the second part. And so it was kind of like, okay, we needed to really talk about there's science to this. this is, we know this is truth. But it's not just, it's just not scientific truth. It's, it's worldview truth. It literally, we have different lenses on that if, we, if, if everything is created, that means everything is designed. And that means that we will see everything in the context of design versus evolution in which nothing is designed. Everything is by chance. And again, there's a couple reasons that we, we need to talk about this. I mean, we need to see it as this is the root issue for so many issues. Um, and again, it really is frustrating when I'll talk to people who are believers and are seemingly strong in this idea that we know that we're created, and they'll see that as a scientific biological thing, but then they'll talk about the need to progress morally, or, you know, things have changed, and, and we now understand this, or, you know, this idea that we're somehow evolving morally or ethically, or our understanding of family is evolving, or, or, or gender, or any of these things. And, uh, and it's really unfortunate when you hear that, because it's really just, it, it's not learning to think biblical, you know, learning to, to understand these biblical truths and, and realizing that they're not isolated, but that there's big biblical truths that really define everything else. Um, and in that, it's also important to see, you know, to see these big issues of, of um, uh, like moral truth, family structure, gender, as issues of, of ultimate truth. Because again, a lot of times, especially in, I think this is probably more true for younger ages, postmodernism. In postmodernism, you know, People that are more postmodern thinking could hold one idea that's in total contrast to another idea and think that they, they fit together. And they don't, you know, it's, it's kind of like 
you know, you kind of choose from a um, buffet of, I believe, one of this and one of this, and well, those things don't match together. Well, you never think of that. And, and one of the things that we really need to do is that we need to really see that these are, they're not just a, it's not just like moral claims that, well, that's what the Bible says that, you know, that about sex or about marriage or about stealing or about any of those things. Um, it's not just what the Bible, my opinion or tradition about gender. Or, no, these are issues of, of truth. They're, they're issues of the way that, you know, if we are designed, then God designed us in a certain way. And when we talk about this, it's not just simply a matter of where we're holding on because God's concerned about morality. No, if it's an issue of truth, like, um, you know, physical laws, the fact is that if you ignore those laws, there's always a negative consequence. It's always true, and it always works. There's always a negative consequence. And a lot of times people have this idea that, well, that God's just up there and he made up these laws, and he's out there waiting to get you if you break them. And, and that's really, really common. And what you've got to see is it's not that God just made these up. It's not like God said, well, I, you know, I choose to do this. This is bad and this is good. No, it literally is an expression of his character that he's built into creation, into the fabric of, fab, of, of, of creation. And it's not that God's out to get us. It just is, you know, if you jump off a building, you're going to fall and get hurt. Um, you know, if you, if you break these moral laws, you're going to fall and get hurt. Now, that also is really important for the way that we interact with people. Because again, a lot of times it's perceived, and I'd say at times rightly perceived, that the church can be very condemning. You know, we're anti this, we're anti, you know, we're, you know, we're, you know, and, you know, we don't like certain groups of people, certain behaviors. But if you understand this, that, that's not a condemning thing at all. You see, the, the thing is, is that if this is, let's take the issue of gender as an example. I mean, it's such a controversial issue. But if it's not just a matter of my opinion or about biblical ideas, but if it's a matter of God's design, and if it's true that if it's God's design, and the more that I align with God's design, the healthier the person I am. You see, if I'm dealing with somebody who's, who's struggling with transgender feelings, and if I just say, well, that's okay, how do I affirm you? How do I? That's the most unloving thing I could possibly do. Now, it may feel unloving for me to challenge them on that, but the fact is, is that if I affirm them in their wrong ideas, I'm basically encouraging them to go down a path where they're less aligned with God's design. And the more unaligned with God's design, the less, un the less healthy they're going to become. And so the thing is, is that, is that we've got to understand this from a perspective that when you understand this is ultimate truth and you see it as the way that God has built and we're talking about truth, not because we're being judgmental or not because we're just... These are God's rules, and whether the rules exist or not, they're, they're something far deeper than rules. It's, it's, it's literally moral and ethical truth that's woven into the fabric of society. It, it's wisdom. It's, it's how things, it's true, meaning it's what is. It's how things work. And so we've, we, we've got to speak that truth out of compassion, out of love. And, and if we don't, you know, if, if we... If we vacate that space in our culture, then who's going to speak that? And we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to see as we see a world that becomes more and more confused, and there's no voice or reason because we're so afraid of you know, being offending people. Um, the motive is out of love. And again, you know, we're all going to at times speak truth to people they don't want to hear, and we know that not on on these issues, but on on regular issues. But again, if you really love people, you speak truth, something that 
it's really a statement of protection. And, and this isn't, it is an opinion. It's pretty black and white what God says. And so, so it's important for that reason. Um, one other point that I wanted to make, and then I open it up. If we understand this all, it will also radically change the way that we interact with people that differ with us on some of the most foundational issues. Let, let's take the example of abortion. Okay, I'm in, involved in pre pregnancy solutions. I'm personally very invested in that area of, of ministry. It's a very controversial issue. Now, there have been times that people have spoken against abortion by going and protesting and having signs out, you know, baby killers and this and that. And that, that's, I think you have people that are, can be very well-meaning and that we do that. You know, don't you know you're killing babies? Or, now, here's what, you know, it's been helpful for me to realize. If somebody comes from an evolutionary perspective, I shouldn't be surprised that that's what they're choosing. And if I'm telling them, don't you know you're killing your babies? That makes no sense to them. The fact is that I'm arguing something based on this assumption of the intrinsic value of human life that they don't share. If they're coming from an evolutionary perspective, it's just a, you know, I could, I could prove biologically that it's a human life. That's not easy, to, you know, that's very easy to do. But the fact is, is that there's a lot of people that say, yeah, I agree it's a human life. It's, it's human DNA. It's got a heartbeat. But it's undeveloped human life. And so how is that different than a toad? It's really not if you're an evolutionist. It's really, and, and so what you realize is a lot of times, I, you know, as a church, we can be guilty of kind of arguing against people, but we're, we're totally missing because we're making, we're arguing based on our own assumptions about the value, in this case, the value of human life. And the fact is, if they don't share that same assumption about the value of human life, I can, they can hear everything that I say and still totally miss the point. And so what that means is that there mean, you know, that means that at times, as, as our world gets more and more lost, it means that, that we've got to start to change some of the ways that we have discussions with people. Um, you know, so, so how do I interact with somebody of homosexual marriage? How do I interact with transgender? How do I interact? The fact is, is that, again, if you're special, if you buy into this evolutionary perspective, should I be surprised that people are transgender? No. And, and the fact is, is that we're going to, you know, we're going to interact with, with these things. And again, I think it's been, if you go back, you know, you know, 60, 70 years ago, we were in a world where most people believed in creation, most people believed in biblical truth, most people believed in certain ideas. And so then it was a question of, this is wrong, you know it's wrong, and you're choosing to disobey. Okay, that was a whole different discussion that you had back then. Now, that's not the discussion we're having with people. And if I tell them, this is wrong, don't you know that homosexual, homosexual marriage is wrong, you're a sinner, you're, you know, if, if I... If I do that, and there are people that really believe, they don't believe in God, they don't believe in design, they don't believe in, in creation, but they believe in evolution, they believe that everything is, is evolving, they believe that everything is by chance, those, those arguments make no sense at all and actually drives people further away. But it makes it a whole lot harder to really engage people. When you, when you interact with people that are really, from a secular perspective, and when more and more of our young people that are, 
Man, witnessing to people coming from that perspective, talking about truth, is a whole different challenge um, because you're, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not starting on the same assumptions. And when we start, you know, when we start discussions based on this idea that you, you know, we both agree that there's such thing as sin and you're disobeying God and, and sinning, um, I can shout that all day and it makes no sense to them. Does that make sense? Is it? You see how you see. That's why this. That's why you know. As I, and, and, and you know, with this this part of the series, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do a week on creation. No, I'm going to do two weeks. No, I'm going to do three weeks. And and even then, you know, I talked to Sandy today. It's like, did I go too fast through that? Because I feel like, man, I'm just like cramming so much stuff in, um, because it's so important. And 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 I know I'm going to open that up, and that that might open up all kinds of other. You know, what we talked about this morning and these ideas of worldview and how it impacts, I mean, the biggest issues when you talk about, uh, you know, morality, you talk about, you know, uh, you know, human life value, you talk about abortion, you talk about euthanasia, we're talking about, you know, uh, gender, we're talking about homosexuality, homosexual marriage, we're talking about all these things that are most controversial issues of our day, they all go back to this one issue. Um, let me let you interact there, because I know that, that kind of like hitting a bunch of hot wires. Uh-huh. And that's what would you say? You've got a couple ladies that believe everything about God. Yeah, yeah. For, for women who believe everything about God in the Bible, except for man and woman, you know, so that uh, you know, les- lesbians and yeah. Well, and that's a great question, and that's really difficult. What, what's, what's painful for me, again, is when you see churches that have not only embraced that or approved that, or you have even somewhat evangelical churches at times kind of like, well, we're going to just stay away from it because we don't want to offend. And that's tragic because, again, if, if this, it's really true, if everything that we're saying is true, that it's a matter of design, and we get outside of God's design, then the further we get out of God's design, the more broken our life is going to be. And the fact is, is that there's going to be a brokenness in their life, you know, that, you know, you can't deny gravity. You can't deny, you know, that God's rules, you know, God's moral truth always is true. Um, What I would, what I, in my experience, what you find is that most people that do that, you know, they, to do that, you have to, you have to play very loosely with the Bible because there's a lot of things in the Bible that I think are pretty direct that speak about homosexuality. And, and so really what you have is you have people that, um, that usually what, the, what we're really doing is, is we're, you know, we're believing in God and we're redefining him to fit our image. And, uh, and, and so that's the hard part is that they say, well, I believe everything. Well, you believe everything you agree with. And, um, and, and the question that I've always, because I've interacted with people beforehand, and I, you know, I always come back to this question of saying, you know, well, the ultimate thing that you have to do when you come before God is you have to say, are you, you know, 
basically there comes a point in time you say, God, I willingly, I, I confess my sin and I'm willing to make you Lord of my life and I'll follow you no matter what you say. And that's the question you have to ask. And the answer I always get back is, well, God would never tell me to give up my homosexuality. This is the way he made me. And I'll say, well, I'm not telling you that he is. Now, what's amazing to me is that I'm not telling them, I'm not pointing that out. I'm just saying you need to surrender everything. And right away, they already know it's amazing how quickly they pull that one thing back because I'm not pointing it out. God is. And I'll say, well, let me ask you this. If, if, you, if you say what, there's something God can't touch, then you're saying that you're not surrendering. I'm not telling you what God, I'm not telling you what God is going to point out, but what I'm going to say is that before you surrender to God, you've got to say, God, whatever you, whatever you point out, whatever you surrender, um, I'm willing to, you know, whatever you tell me to surrender, I'm willing to surrender. But in that, I, in my experience, what I find is, I find the Holy Spirit is a much better convictor than I am. Um, and it's real easy for me to say, well, you know, let me quote these verses, let me quote. What I find is when I say something like that, they're already defending that because they already know. And so if I quote that, they're going to get really defensive. If I just say, the question is, if you really surrendered everything, if you really said, God, whatever you call me to, um, are you willing to surrender everything? And then I, I walk away and I leave room for the Holy Spirit to work. And the fact that I get that response almost every time tells me that I, you know, the Holy Spirit's pointing it out. Um, and, if, and if I argue with them, then they're going to think, you know, are, otherwise. Beyond that, um, there's a, um, a lot of it is just, is loving people with the gospel. Um, there's a, 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 I'd say that the whole book isn't, is, you know, the last part of the book isn't as good, but there's a really interesting book that I, I, I'd recommend uh, by Rosetta Butterfield. And I think it's, the, it's called The Reluctant Convert, I think, as if I, I might be getting that name wrong. But she was a, a um, very active lesbian college professor. Um, who ended up being led to Christ. And she just shares the, you know, the story about how, how you know, people befriended her and brought her in. And just, you know, but part of that is that she had, she had Christians that just brought her into the community. And, and she's actually talked a lot about you know, this idea of hospitality, that, you know, that, that as Christians we need to use hospitality. And we have this ability to show love and invite people into the loving community. And you see this in Acts. And, um, and, but it's a really interesting testimony uh, where you have this person that would have been, again, you know, out in the college campuses. She's a professor, she's, and, and she's living with somebody. And, but you had these Christians that just invited her into community and, um, and, and didn't con condemn her. But, but then when she'd start to ask, they'd, a they'd a ask, answer the questions. Um, but the thing is, is that they, even with her, she's saying, she, I, I, you know, they didn't have to push it. It's kind of like they lived it out, and then the Holy Spirit convicted me from there. Um, and, you know, I, I think, again, sometimes we can, we can, on the one hand, what we shouldn't do is remove the Holy Spirit. And so when you have some people that will say, you need to approve, you need to come to my wedding, you need to do this, you need to, that removes the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you're saying, the only way for you to love me is to approve me, well, if I approve, then what I'm doing is that I'm removing the ability for the Holy Spirit to convict. So I'm not going to approve. But on the other hand, I don't think that it's my job usually to condemn. I think in the vast majority of time, God's already done that. And, and the thing is, is that if I love and, and I refuse to approve, but at the same time that I'm, I'm not condemning, 
And then you sit back, and again, the Holy Spirit, is a, is a, it does a, he's a much better convictor than I am. And so what we're doing is we're planting seeds of truth, and then we're just saying, look, I'm watering them, and, and be patient. Um, you know, very few of these people, it's like you're going to have one conversation, and they're going to be like, you're right, I'm sinning, I need to come to Christ. I mean, that, that, but you know what? I, um, we, have, we have in our church, we have people that are, have come out of homosexual lifestyle, and are strong believers now. Uh, some of which, uh, you know, most of which have, would not, haven't shared that story publicly for, very, for various reasons. Um, some we'd be shocked at because God does this transformation. And, um, you know, but it's loving people into it. Thank you. And one of the things, the question is, how do you interact with people that claim to be living a Christian lifestyle but support pro-choice? One of the problems is, again, going back to what we're talking about here. This is why this is so important. Um, and I don't mean to, I don't say this and it means to, to, um, to hit on any other churches. I, I was interacting with somebody this week is it a, in a very well-known church in our community. Um, and they were part of the leadership team, and they were, you know, saying they were talking to the pastor, and they were saying, you know, um, you know, how do we handle controversies when you, you know, like if you handle a controversial subject, and people might, you know, and how should we handle that? And and, and the pastor says, well, you don't have to worry about that. I don't, we don't go there. You know, it's kind of, and and this is a very evangelical church, um, and it breaks my heart when I hear that, because what happens is you have, that's why you have people confused on these issues. Um, you know, there have been times when I, I always talk to the elders before we deal with these issues, and I say, we're going to deal with it. And we've often lost people. Um, and we kind of say, and we, we're really careful. I, say, I don't want you please come and talk with me. We're not trying to lose people. But the fact is that oftentimes we've stepped on issues, and oh, I'm upset. How can a church talk about that? And, but we have to be willing to risk that, because if we don't, we're going to lose people to compromise because they don't know how to think biblically. Um, now that being said, again, I think there's, you know, I think there's a discussion and there's a patience because again, what happens is there's a lot of, there's a lot of believers that I think that are out there that ha don't realize that they've been brought in and deceived by kind of evolutionary thinking on issues of, of, of pro-choice, on, on issues of, you know, homosexual marriage. And there's a lot of people that that, that are believers that have bought into the lie, but they don't realize the inconsistency of their thinking. That what happens is we don't know how to think from a Christian biblical worldview. Um, and so how do we do that? Well, that's, I think the starters, we engage in the discussion. And, and again, I love, the more that I've studied Jesus and his ministry, the more that I fall in love with this methodology. Because what you find is that his most powerful teaching tool was asking questions. And so a lot of times I'll, you know, I'll get, well, I'll start asking questions. And what about this passage? What about this? And I'll kind of throw out ideas. Um, but again, I think there might be times, and don't you know, this is, you know, the thing is, is that I can throw kind of, even for a believer, I can throw the truth out there. But if their perception is based on a false worldview, 
I can be speaking the truth, but they're not recognizing it. You know, they don't realize that, I mean, I can totally explain that, okay, this child is a, um, is, you know, is, is DNA, it's not a, it's a woman choice with her body. Yeah, okay, she has her choice. This is not her body. That's, scientifically, that's, there's no question about that. That is, the, the baby is not a part of the woman's body. It's a separate body. You have choice with you, your body. You don't have choice to kill another body. Uh, that's really easy, scientifically. But again, I can argue that people will still buy the lie based on false presuppositions. And, and some of that, it's a lot easier just to preach, and here's what you need to do. Uh, the hard part is to disciple, and part of the discipling is listening to people and asking them questions and kind of planting seeds and then giving room for God to, um, you know, there's so many times that I find that if I pray for the right thing and then I'll kind of ask the question, I'll just walk away. Well, think about this. And they want to argue with me? Well, think about it. I need to go now. And, and then I'll just walk away and come back two weeks later because they want to argue with me. They want to hear my, you know, me, me argue like the biblical perspective, and then all their thoughts are why it's wrong. If I just ask the question and walk away, they're thinking about how do I answer this question? Um, so again, I think with a lot of this, it's be patient with people. I'm, I'm so thankful God's patient with me, you know, and I think about how long it's taken me to learn some things and some things that I still haven't quite learned. Um, be patient with people, interact, and recognize that it's really not winning an argument, it's really discipleship. And a lot of people are, are discipled wrongly. Um, even, you know, my sister's book, uh, Julie, Julie Slattery, she had, her most recent book is Rethinking Sexuality. And it's really not written, most of her stuff has been written to women, this has been written to the church. And the title she wanted to use was Sexual Discipleship. Uh, they talked her out of it because some people said that people could interpret that wrongly, <laughs> and I could I could see that, you know, you know, you could, you know, you could, could take, you could, you could have the wrong meaning of that. Um, but the idea is what she's saying is we need to teach people, we need to disciple people to think from a biblical perspective about their sexuality, not just rules, not just don't do this, it's right, this is wrong, but to think holistically, and, and that's I think that's the biggest challenge that we have. Uh, is just to ask these questions and to realize a lot of these people have been discipled wrongly by the world because, because we haven't engaged them properly as a church. And so we've got to have this process of hopefully in, in discipling them toward the truth. Um, and at times when we're asked, and again, we're going to have at times, you know, we're, we'll, when, when it's there, we'll say it directly, hopefully graciously. Um, but at the same time in discussion, we'll be patient with people that, that don't get it and hope and pray that, that, you know, that they can see not just that one issue, but the issues behind it. Does that, does that make sense? So. Yeah, Harry. Yeah, and that's and my whole thing is I just I I don't want to argue about the age of the earth. I want to argue whether God created, and the fact is is that you know that's the you know that's the only offensive evidence that you know and, and if if we take that off the table, I mean all the you know it's not even close. I mean it's 
you know, and, that, and that's when you hear like some of these um, quotes from these evolutionary scientists saying, you know, it's, it's a fairy tale for, you know, for grown-ups, and you hear them talking about, you know, we believe this in spite of the lack. And these are evolutionists that are saying it. Um, you know, so that if we can, you know, just get focused on the, on the evidence of did God create, um, the fact is the evidence is so strong for creation. And, and that's, you know, I, that's why I want to turn the conversation to. Any other comments or questions? Do you, you see how important and how central this is? You know, does it make, I, I hope, you know, I'm trying to, we did so much this morning, but trying to, to see how really the biggest issues of our day are all rooted in, in, in these issues. And we need to be involved. You know, like one of the big things now is, is, um, is, is euthanasia. Um, and it hasn't come up here in, in Ohio yet. It has, I think we're now in, I think, nine states where it's legalized. Um, but if you look at where it's at in California, I mean, it sounds like this is a good argument. Oh, the right to die and somebody's suffering, and we don't want to have suffering. But it's, it's ultimately the people that argue for it. It's based on this idea that there's no intrinsic value of life. And so that when you're suffering and, and when your quality of life has gone down, you know, we might as well go ahead and get rid of you. But what you see is, go look at, go see how these things play out, especially in, in Europe, where euthanasia has been legalized for now for 20 or so years. The, you know, the, the right to die always becomes the duty to die. And, you know, and so when healthcare is, you want to know why healthcare is more expensive in America than in, in Europe? Well, it's because they help, you know, the most expensive times are the end of life, and they shorten that in, in many parts of Europe. And that's a statement that comes from an evolutionary perspective about the value of life. And, um, and again, if we don't know how to, it's, it's going to come up in Ohio that the issues, it's becoming more and more national. But we need to engage that, but we need to engage it from a biblical worldview perspective. And if we believe in the biblical worldview that the, you know, the value of life, um, that, the, that there's intrinsic value of life even when we get older and when we get sick. Um, and you know it's it's so important. It's it's and it's so widespread. The issues are the impact is so is so so broad, um, and unfortunately we're not engaging. I think the the broad American church we're not engaging the issues from a biblical perspective. We're not equipping our people, and so we're not dealing with it right. So any other. I thought we'd have more questions on getting into all the stuff we're getting into today, you know, this morning. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really, you know, if you look back, it was in the 1850s, and they fought for it to be taught alongside of creation in the 1920s. Well, now you can't, you can't even mention creation in the schools. It's totally taken over. Um, and the sad thing, too, is that we kind of referenced this the first week. You know, it's said that all scientists believe this. Well, part of the reality is that if you believe in creation, you basically lose your job. 
And so that, you know, there's, it's not only that, you know, that's being taught in schools, but it's this idea that, you know, you have scientists that will, uh, that will, that will start to talk about a creation perspective, they'll get fired. They won't. So you have a lot of people that kind of do, but they're going to go, you know, they don't want to admit it. Um, you know, you have other people that don't want to even consider it because of, but again, when you have that kind of force behind something, what are you trying to hide? Um, and, and the sad thing is it's in the scientific community and that's being spilled over into the, you know, to our colleges especially, and then even down to our high schoolers. And, and the, the implications are way more than what you just, you know, it's, it's way more than just science. It's, it's worldview because it impacts all area, your view of all areas of life. And, and, and that's why, especially our young people, you want to know why we have such confusion on all these different issues? This is why. It's, you know, if you don't think you're designed, you're going to come up with a lot of really broken views about a whole lot of areas of life. So, yeah, Jim. What's your perspective on this uh, situation about the material evolution as related to the spiritual warfare? I'm not sure that I understand. Uh, okay. We're not to fight against flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. It's unquestionably there's a spiritual battle. It's unquestionably that this is not just about science. It's a spiritual battle. And, and when, you look at, when you look at even the issues that are under attack, the family first and foremost, the family is the foundational structural unit of our culture. And when you look at how things are breaking down in America, so much of that is because of the breakdown of the family. I mean, the fact is, is that, um, you know, I mean, when you have strong families intact and you have a, a you know, a dad and mom and, you know, you know, your kids are a whole lot better, more likely to turn out well. And the thing is, when we break down that family and we don't have that family influence in the same way, it makes it far more, well, now the government's going to educate our children. And, you know, so these, these issues are like so deeply rooted that it's a, it's a spiritual battle. And again, evolution, materialism is a spiritual, it's not, a, it's not science, you know, it, it is spiritual. In fact, they used to, materialism used to consider itself, humanism, materialism used to actually consider itself a religion. And they kind of threw that away when they started to argue for this whole thing about evolution. No, we're not religious at all, we're, this is pure science. Uh, it is a religious perspective that denies the supernatural. And the, and the arguments that they're making are about who we are, what, you know, what is the purpose of life, what, where do we exist? And, and it is, I mean, Satan is, a, is attacking. Um, it, you know, it's, it's attacking when we say that creation is at the root of everything the Bible teaches and everything that Christians believe. It is. And so if you attack creation, it's attacking at the root of, at the core of not only Christian belief, but Christian morality. Uh, and the effects are tremendous. But that's where, again, when we talk about these issues, it's not just, it's not winning an argument. This is a spiritual battle for the souls of people. It's about discipleship. Um, but the good news is that people come to know Christ. It's not easy. It's, it's, it's going to be a lot harder to win people to Christ that are discipled in this mindset. Um, but the good news is, by God's grace, he, you know, he, he does Apostle Paul conversions of people that are set out to destroy the church and God meets them and he transforms lives. And so we have to be willing to engage uh, person by person to fight for the souls of people and for the culture. 
Ja, am Ende. Ja. Yeah. Well, and even in that, there's... There's a couple things even in that. You know, I know even when we had Richard Sharp here a couple weeks ago, one of the ideas he talks about is heart before head. You know, you win people's heart before you get to their head. That's, there was that at Butterfield testimony. These people loved her, and then they were able to speak truth to her. They, they won her heart before they got to her head. And, and so the fact is, is that, you know, you might think, wow, man, I, you've got somebody, this, again, a homosexual couple. I don't know how to witness to them. You've got this, you know, evolutionary scientist. I don't know how to witness. Well, start by loving them. You know, start by, you know, and just seeking to win their heart, because a lot of times that's what God uses. Uh, speaking, not necessarily confronting with the truth, but speaking the truth when asked, but also just planting seeds of questions. But then also when you have that discussion, one of the things that we realize is that, again, the, the Bible teaches that my role is I'm an equipper of the saints. You're the frontline ministry. You, you interact with far more people on a daily basis than I do. Uh, you meet, interact with people that I never have a chance to interact with. You know, that's what I always think, you know, I hope most of my coworkers are Christians. Um, you know, most of you wouldn't say that, you know, that's, uh, you know, so the fact is you just even from a working standpoint, you have opportunity to witness to people I don't. Now, that being said, my job is somewhat equipping and encouraging you to do what I do on Sunday morning, but it's also I'm the support personnel. And, and we just had something a couple weeks ago. We had somebody that, that pe people in our church had begun to witness to. That, you know, they brought him. He's been coming to an ABF, but he's kind of struggling with all these questions. And it was kind of like they were like, I don't know how to answer the questions. And so we, we talked. I said, okay, well, they, they said, well, let's have dinner. So they invited Sandy and I and, and this one guy and, and over, and we went and had pizza at their house. And, and we had a great discussion. And it was, it was, and I said, that's what I'm there for. You know, I'm, I'm there to equip, but at times when you ask these questions that are, this is over my head, I don't know how to get there. Okay, well, you know, call and help. You know, that's, um, that's part, of, part of what my job is to equip you. Now, I hope that what that does is it encourages you to be a little, a little bit more um, courageous, to take a little more risks. You know, because sometimes we were like, well, if I get in the discussion, I'll get over my head, I won't know what to do. Well, that's okay. You know, that's, you know, go there if God leads you there, God's going to provide. But also recognize that, again, you have resources. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, that's, that's what I'm here for. To, I'm here to equip you. You're the ones that are going to reach people. I'm here to back you up in doing it. And the beautiful thing is that God, God answers those prayers. And that's what I want to encourage you on, is that... Um, you know, and again, we talked this morning about, you know, my, my nephew and, you know, and again, this is a guy that was so close, so hard. Um, you know, God got a hold of him, 
you know, one of the ways God got a hold of them was, believe it or not, Kanye West, you know, it's just, you know, and, 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 you know, my nephew's looking at Kanye West, this guy that is totally lost, but somehow is, you know, testifying that God's got a hold of his life. And, and my nephew's like, well, he's got all these addiction issues, mental health issues. He's, he's like me. <laughs> and, and I could witness to him, and he says, well, you're not like me. I can't understand. Maybe the gospel's for you, but not for me. But he heard Kanye West, and if he says, if the gospel's for him, then it's for people like me. And I would have never thought that. And the fact is, is that none of us would have ever dreamed God would have used that methodology to, to get his attention spiritually. Um, but we have people that are in this church that are, that are coming from all kinds of, you know, brokenness, lostness. That, um, and the fact is, is that we have the truth. And we don't need to, again, we don't need to win every argument. We need, we need to realize that we have the truth. We don't need to be afraid. Uh, you need to realize that you've got support when you, you know, if you do ever get over your head. But you also realize that God has called us to, 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 to fight this battle, but it's one person at a time. And, and recognizing that we all have people that we interact with, and some of those people would be the least likely people to ever come to know Christ. But I want to encourage you on that. Because here's my theology, okay? I'm, 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 theologically, I believe much more that, okay, it's God initiates converts to salvation, that God, you know, God calls. It's not our ability to convince, their ability to believe. It's God's ability to transform, all right? Now, that being said, you say, well, this person will never come. Well, you may not convince them. They may not ever do it, but can God change their heart? Well, how do I know that God's going to change their heart? Well, here's, do you, do you, do you all know the, the clue? You know, that there's a clue that the people to whom God is going to change, he, there's a clue that we, I get a little foreshadowing that we know who. And that is what God wants to do. Part of prayer is it's our way of participating in what God plans to do. So God lays it upon the people's heart of his people to pray for people whom he wants to transform and do the miracle of salvation. Now, here's the really exciting thing. That means that if God lays somebody on your heart that you think is the most unlikely person, I mean, I've had a chance where God's brought people in my life, again, that Hindu, Mormon, uh, you, know, um, uh, you know, atheist, you know, it's kind of like, and when God lays them on my heart and I start to engage and pray for them, it's like, man, this is going to be great to see them come to know Christ. It's going to be awesome. I don't have any clue how to do it, but God's given me a chance to be a part of this. And I want, I want to encourage you, number one, we don't, even, we don't need to back away personally. We don't need to be ashamed but number two, even when we interact with people, to recognize that we are in a world that is lost and that is, you know, people are lost and they're confused. And, but you know what? God is able to, to, to save and redeem the most lost and most confused people in our culture. And he's called us to go out there and to do that. And to be patient and to recognize that, you know, we're going to tell them the truth and they're not going to get it because, you know, you expect lost people to think like lost people and act like lost people. Uh, and if their worldview is totally screwed up, and if, they, if what they believe is based on a lie and they can't see it, I'm going to expect them to, to, to see everything wrongly. And that's okay. That's, uh, I, I don't judge them for that. I feel broken. I feel bad. Um, but we love them, and we show grace to them, and we engage with them, and we bring the gospel to them. And you know what? I look forward to some really, really neat testimonies of God's salvation. Um, because we, work, we serve a miracle-working God. And uh, I really look forward to seeing what he will do. And, and you're on the front lines of that. And I'm glad to support you on being on the front lines of that.
And, and I look forward to seeing the stories that God has yet to write in the people that we interact with. So let me close in prayer. Father, I thank you again for the time that we could spend, for the chance to, to struggle through these questions. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to, to deal with truth. Father, to recognize that, um, that this isn't just a matter of theology. Uh, it's not even just a matter of science, but Father, it's a, it's a matter of truth, of, of what's real. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to be able to understand, to be confident in our faith. Father, even as, as we have opportunity, maybe even to defend our faith. Father, to think biblically about, about everything, about all these issues. And Father, to be able to interact with people as, as, um, as we struggle with, with, with these hard, hardest issue, hottest issues of our time and our culture. Father, help us to, to be discipled by you, first of all, in our lives. And then, Father, to speak that truth to others, and we help our world and our culture to think biblically as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll just say a word of closing. Um, kind of what we're covering today, this last part is worldview. It's how do we learn to see everything through a perspective of Scripture. Uh, I want to let you know we're going to be doing something in the winter on Sunday evenings um, that's an extensive course on worldview. We did it about five years ago. It's, you know, some of you might remember it. It's, a, it's a, called the Truth Project. Um, it is tremendous. And for many people that have done it, they're like, I want to come again because I might actually understand it the second time. Uh, I mean, it is like, it, it, if any, it's, it, it, the only thing is like drinking water out of fire hose. It is, but it just is learning to say, how do I, how do I learn to see everything? And it goes through 12 different sections of big issues of life and see everything with a worldview perspective. And so part of, you know, creation is a huge part of that, but it, but it applies towards from history to government to art to, you know, every aspect of the family to everything. And so if, so if this is kind of scratching the surface of some of that, so if you're at all interested, uh, be looking for mid-January, we're going to be starting the Truth Project on Sunday evenings. And so we look forward to doing that. So I just wanted to mention a little advanced advertising. So, amen. Thanks for coming.